Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Previously on the Pure Hoops podcast. Celtics, as I've said all year, they have the best roster in the NBA. This team is, they're deep. They have great play at every position, starter and coming off the bench. They have physicality. They can stretch the floor. They can defend their positions. They can defend as a unit. But most importantly, they have a player that is capable of playing for 48 minutes and and create his own shot at any point during the game, and that's in Kyrie Irving. I think this team is is poised now to play because they understand, I think the regular season have made them understand that they just can't win on talent alone. They're going to have to defend. This team is they're and, locked and in do right. and do it together. Yes, they're they're locked in right now. Now, I, I like their team, as I've said, and I'm going to stick with it. I like their team and I love their talent. I think this team was built for the playoffs. I think Danny Ainge and and the staff have done an incredible job of building this team for the playoffs. This team is ready. They're ready to win, and I think they're ready to win now. Damn right the Celtics have the most talent in these playoffs. We are back. Episode 16, NBA Playoffs. Eric Newman, BJ Armstrong. Time to get after it. Check ball. Let's go. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. NBA playoffs, there is no rest for the weary. BJ, I actually went to bed at a reasonable hour last night because there was only one game. So before we dig in, my friend, uh, how are you today? And uh, give me one interesting nugget from the life of BJ Armstrong to start. One interesting nugget. Um... Well, first, I'm doing well. Um, one interesting nugget. I'm, I'm excited about uh, Star Wars. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I've been uh, surfing the, the, the web, social media, and any information I can about Episode Nine. I'm this 40-year saga of uh, the Skywalkers has me interested in... So that's that's one interesting thing. I'm I'm a huge Star Wars fan. So that was your thing when you weren't shooting jumpers as a kid. You were you were that Star Wars kid. That was my thing. That okay. that that was my thing. You know, uh, you know, Anakin and all of the characters. You know, Yoda so so and, so if someone says Millennium Falcon, wherever you are, you're, you're oh, I, 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 you, you got me in a conversation immediately. You know, uh, <laughs> The, the the whole uh you know after you know i've had a chance to meet george lucas uh, over the years and i can tell you 
that was probably one of the most exciting days for me. Oh wow! Uh, of meeting him and uh, his lovely family, and uh, that, it was great just to think about. You're telling a story for the last 40 years have been it's been like an amazing phenomenon you know just a 40-year story <laughs> it's, it's been great. very 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 cool you have that connection and now i can uh i can start integrating star wars into our nba talk so uh you know speaking of players that use the force you like that right <laughs> um you know, uh, our our uh, our Southpaw in Houston, James Harden. I, I I'm still cringing at the sight of his eye after he was poked and how bloodshot it was, and he's out there just rapid fire blinking to try to to try to get some relief. So, you know, before we delve into you know all of the ins and outs of these four remaining playoff series. Um, did you ever have an incident where you got hit in the eye or had to go the eye protection route? Obviously, your teammate Horace Grant did at one point. Um, what were some of your experiences uh, with that and obviously your reaction to what happened uh, with Harden? Well, never had an incident where I had to wear goggles of such. You know, I think Horace Grant, uh, that's the only player I can recall uh, that I play, actually played with over the years. Um, that actually went to a protection. But, you know, getting poked in the eye is part of the game. And um, we've all, or at least I have been poked many times. I wore contacts, um, you know, during my my time playing in the NBA. So, you know, there were many times where actually I played and, and only had one contact in. Sometimes I played, didn't have any contacts in. You know, they're constantly getting knocked out, getting poked. Um, so that's kind of part of the game. And my reaction for him is hopefully it's nothing like a scratch cornea or anything like that. But, you know, getting poked, it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, however you want to look at it, uh, you know, he did. He was able to come back. And, um, you know, I don't know how much it affected him playing um, or, you know, his performance but he seemed to manage and and figure out and do what you have to do under the circumstances of getting poked in the eye yeah i can't imagine what that challenge would be like in the moment right because for him especially when he's locked in that hoop must seem like it's the size of a swimming pool and everything to him has got to be crystal clear so getting getting hit in the eye in game and having to navigate it in in such a huge uh, moment and and with all those stakes against the Warriors is crazy. Now, Horace Grant, he had the souped up pretty cool goggles. They were much cooler than the Kareem goggles and James Worthy started wearing goggles, I believe in 84, 85, because in the first finals against the Celtics, he's not in goggles. So what was the stigma in your day about guys that wore goggles in general? Because Horace's were cool, but what, what was the stigma like back then? Well, I, I remember the the thing that we made fun of Horace with when he started to wear the goggles was we couldn't believe that he didn't have the ability to put in contacts. He could not figure out, I don't know if it was the size of his hands or 
the fact of the idea of putting something in your eye, he could not get that concept. <laughs> I just remember. Got it. So, so know, his I, I, his head his was tied directly to contact lenses. Well, he and... couldn't. But he couldn't. He, he couldn't see. Um, <laughs> and and you know the death perception. I think was you know he felt that you know he needed you know finally get some some glasses and he couldn't see. And I remember. Him and I, before games, I, I would be, you know, demonstrating how to put your contacts in your eye. He just couldn't grasp that concept. So out of necessity, he was forced to to wear the goggles. And then if you looked at his goggles, because the one thing he couldn't really do was he couldn't, you know, your, you know, the vision, your peripheral vision is kind of hindered a little bit. And they took yeah. out the side so he could see. And I think that's where Hollywood made his goggles a little unique is he took out the sides because he wanted to be able to see on the side which and i don't know if it you know if it lessened the protection or something but um that was a big thing for him but it worked out and uh, look he's 30 years later he's still getting a little airplay from it so big uh big out and shout out to horace grant i think he saved the stigma around goggles because after horace young kids felt like okay those look decent on horace i can wear those I thought Kurt Rambis's I I loved Kurt Rambis's glasses. I thought those were really cool. They looked terrific when he was being clotheslined by Kevin McHale. That's when they looked <laughs> their best. So another another random question for you in the world of, you know, injuries, right? Steph Curry hurts his non-shooting hand, and obviously he's got those fingers taped together. Um a, how much does that affect rhythm and feel? And B, you know, the Rockets aren't stupid. Chris Paul is playing opposite him, as is Austin Rivers. They're always looking to exploit matchups and pick and roll. Is there a way to make Curry use that bad hand more than normal? Well, you know, every player, every guard, you know, at some point you're going to have that going to have that injury and uh, I remember having that injury specifically when I saw it happen last night I remember thinking that's why you stop reaching on defense <laughs> you know I learned that lesson very early on you know you you, you you don't reach on defense because as a guard you know your fingers and your hands are really important and I had that injury and I had to play a whole season with that exact injury to the exact same my left my left hand and my middle finger and what I noticed was you kind of learn how to compensate as an athlete you know you learn how to compensate with with different injuries but the one thing that I I definitely had to do which you know you didn't say it you know during the course of the season was I didn't want to drive to the basket anymore now you say, well, why why would driving to the basket with that injury is because when people are swiping at the ball, your hand is part of the ball. So I stopped driving to the basket for a while until I was able to take the contact with my hands. And that is the part that I, I'm going to look for with his game is because, you know, catching and shooting, you'll learn how to compensate with that. But I, I, I'm really interested to see if he's willing to accept the contact and the physicality with people swiping down at your hands or hitting your hands or, 
you know, just a simple thing is like, you know, getting around a pick. You know, you 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 use your hands to play defense, right? And I think that's where he's really gonna, you know, really have to figure out how to play because you use your hands in an NBA game, and you know, I I don't think he's really gonna want people hitting and swiping at his hands when he when he you know when he plays. You know, I remember some years ago. Isaiah Thomas had a he had like a, a a bone bruise or something on his hand playing in the playoffs, and I re- specifically remember that you know what you know when he was he would drive to the basket he would just literally scream because back then there was hand checking and there was going to be some contact going to the basket and people were swiping at the ball and what have you and I remember he would just scream to finally I think he just stopped driving to the basket because he didn't want to feel received the contact or the physicality that was being played at that time. So interesting. You first called out the reach because I know Steve Kerr has been annoyed with Steph Curry picking up some unneeded fouls in recent weeks. And even the other night we saw him having to go to the bench uh, with his fourth uh, personal foul midway through the third quarter. So that's interesting. How how about shooting the ball? You know, obviously, you know, Steph's shot pocket, you know, he loads up, uh, off of the right shoulder, but the shot, of course, is, is coming almost square down the middle. The right hand's doing most of the work, but the left hand is on the ball almost to the release point. Uh, how do you view it in, in general um, affecting shooting and specifically with Steph? Shooting, I, I don't think will be a problem. Uh, at least when I had that injury, I, I didn't find shooting was a problem. The problem was playing the game because you're, you know, think about it, you know, you get back screened, and what's the first thing you do? You 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 want to feel the game, right? As a guard, you know the the one thing as a guard that I think Steph and every point guard or, or lead guard has learned is most of the time when you're playing defense, all of the action or activity is behind you. So how is he now going to accept a back screen? He's not definitely he's not going to put his left hand out there to fill the screen and and try to you know feel his way around the screen I just think the game and the physicality of the game is where you're going to see him possibly if you're coming to set a screen on the left side of Steph Curry is he going to like not use his left hand now to to fight around the screen or is he just going to accept the screen and lay on it now these are the things that I look at because that's where I found the most difficulty the most difficulty was playing the game because I didn't want anyone to hit my hand because it hurts. <laughs> I mean, that 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 in, it just hurts, right? Catching the ball was the easy part, but unexpectedly someone just uh, you know, a big let's say Clint Capella just runs up on the side of Steph Curry and, and just runs right into that finger. That to me is was I was always protecting because I knew that was really going to hurt and I had to just play through it and there was nothing I can do. The Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ and myself is one of four weekly shows from Pure Hoops Media. We're here every Friday with a fresh set of takes and some analysis of the action on the court. Our Monday podcast is the Mike Wise Show with our favorite wise-ass and his guests. This Monday, Goran Dragic joins Mike before heading back to Slovenia for the summer. Every Wednesday, we present Catch and Shoot with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov. This past week, they had Hall of Famer Alex English as their most recent guest, In our newest show, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt comes your way each Thursday. She is a fresh voice and some very cool guests. You should check it out.
In fact, please check out all our shows. Rate them, review, download, please subscribe, and of course, enjoy. So speaking of guys with injuries, and BJ, this is this is more to uh, kind of compare guys who are just refusing to bow down to the pain that they're in. And I want to talk about Enos Kanter for a moment because this guy has gone from insurance policy added uh, in February after he was bought out by the Knicks to now playing a major role from the Blazers. Uh, first off, how, how impressed are you with Enos Kanter right now in these playoffs? Well, you, you know, Enos has always been a very capable offensive player, and th- this is nothing new uh, when he came out. I mean, after all, this kid was a lottery pick by the Utah Jazz seven years ago because of this offensive ability that he has, you know, shown uh, his latest episode here in the playoffs. But what he's shown since a young kid, since I first started watching him play some years ago, uh, you know, he's had some very favorable matchups in the playoffs. You know, he's played against two – I don't don't say Jokic is really a traditional center, but he plays a lot from the low post, uh, probably more than than, than most than you see in today's game, I would say. Uh, Steven Adams was certainly a great matchup for him as well. Uh, But when you look at how the game is played, it's – he, he, meaning Cantor, has faced the same problems that many big players have faced is when these teams play with stretch fours or stretch fives or they go small, what do you do with Enos Cantor in that, in that scenario? So I think Enos Cantor um, has had great matchups for him and the way he plays, but certainly uh, if they're able to advance, you know, the issue will be do you play with Enos Cantor versus smaller, more athletic players? Great call out. And, you know, I loved seeing him battle with Adams. They were former teammates. And you can tell Adams had such respect for him on the floor and actually was concerned a few times about the the pain that Cantor was in. And, you know, Jokic, you know, he, he spends time on the low post. He spends time on the elbow. And Cantor's just, just fighting. And um, he, he's really given them a lot. You know, aside from, you know, whenever we talk about, you know, historic or, or memorable playoff performances when, when guys aren't themselves, obviously one of the first ones that comes to mind is, you know, Michael Jordan's flu game in, in 97. But, you know, fr- from your era, is, is there a playoff performance that you remember where a guy was playing hurt and just gutted it out to the point where you were – you know, amazed by what he was able to do that, that you know, myself or the, or the audience may not know about? Wow. Um, that's a big question. I, I remember as a kid, I tell you the game that really has stood out to me. And once I got to the NBA, I was even more impressed because at the time I wasn't in the NBA is when Isaiah Thomas playing in the finals. I don't know what game it was, but I, I remember he sprained his ankle. And, game six, and I, 1988 NBA finals. Yeah. And I was a huge Detroit Pistons fan uh, growing up. And um, you always remind me of up that, in the don't city. you? You always yeah, remind yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was a huge. I, I, I was a bad boy before. Uh, before they were saying that uh, in New York City with P Diddy. You know, we were bad boys before <laughs> then, right? And um, but I remember the pain. That, I mean, you saw. I mean, he had a significant ankle sprain, and then somehow, some way, literally on one leg, you know. 
he was playing. I think I think, I think he had, had twenty five points in the third quarter. Yeah, twenty five or twenty six points. I mean, and, and, and as a little man, right? I mean, this is as a little man, uh, as a smaller guard, what he was able to do. And I, I just thought what was amazing, you know, the, 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 the way he gutted that performance out. So I, I was really impressed with that back then. And uh, when I got to the NBA, I was even more impressed because I, I really began to understand how difficult what he was able to do and, and, and especially the time and, and the place in which he did it. For sure, for sure. And, you know, that was Detroit's quest to win their first title. They came up uh, one game short, but um, I'll never forget watching Isaiah on e- the original ESPN's Greatest Games with Dan Patrick crying in the studio as they relive that moment because it meant so much to him. And it wasn't just about him. It was about him and the guys and them trying to prove to the world that they belonged. And I, that, that always resonated with me. Looking ahead now to uh, the weekend, Friday night, game three, the Bucks and the Celtics go to Boston. Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton both had huge bounce-back game twos to lead the Bucks to uh, a victory to even the series. But there's a lot of history with Bledsoe and Boston stemming back to last year, uh, <laughs> of course, with uh, Terry Rozier and that crowd. So my question for you is, how much of that plays into Bledsoe's psyche as he, go, as he goes back to Boston now for, uh, for game three and four? Well, you know, Bledsoe has a has a tall task um, in this series because not only does he have to deal with Kyrie Irving here on the defensive end, I mean, you know, Terry is a very formidable opponent as well. So he has a huge task that he has to do deal with. Uh, you know, Brogdon is still, still out. Um, and I don't know, there's been rumors that he possibly could come back here next game or maybe the game after, maybe return sometime in this series. But needless to say, Bledsoe has a, a huge task, and they need him to play very well if they're going to advance in this series. So is game two more of a product of the Bucks being able to control tempo and Bledsoe benefiting from that, or did Bledsoe just play noticeably better and bring it to the Celtics? Well, the it, you know, playoffs are really about matchups. And the, the, the matchups, it could be something as simple as starting your star player on the weak side instead of starting on the, on the strong side. Um, but what they were able to do, especially I think there in the third quarter, is they established themselves defensively. They got some stops, and they were making shots. And when you make shots consistently, especially from the perimeter, it forces the other team to make a move, right? You don't want to give up. Um, easy, uncontested shots, and clearly the Celtics did a good job of that. But I think the Celtics, if you're going to lose a game, you, you know, you lose it with, you know, Giannis and these guys shooting threes, right? Um, yep. Now, if they're going to continue to shoot that way, it's going to be a problem, but I'll take my chances. You know, as long as a team isn't, you know, con- consistently driving the ball down my throat, I feel really good about my defense, and if I can hold them to the perimeter and, and, and allow Giannis to only make six or seven field goals during the course of a game, I feel really good about my chances. So even though they they lost, 
you know, the game and they lost by a large margin, I think the Celtics understand that, you know, they can make adjustments. They can always go out there and contest those shots or do or make the proper adjustments to get closer to the offensive player. But, um, you know, we'll see. You know, I think the Celtics will make the adjustments necessary. And if they could win two games here at home, that really puts them in the driver's seat going back to Milwaukee for game five. That would make for a wonderful happening for the Celtics and uh, and my mental state in these NBA playoffs. A um, couple of quick questions for you. Will we see the Drew Bledsoe Patriots jerseys in the crowd again to try to rattle Eric? Absolutely. I mean, th- these are the Celtics for crying out loud. You, 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 you got to see that, right? I mean, I might have to fly in just to put that jersey on. Uh, you keep me posted. I'll get on that Amtrak very quickly and, and meet you up there. So the, the the Celtics only had 13 turnovers in, in game two, but I, I think the issue was they just they didn't shoot the ball well and they didn't play great offense. Listen, it was a close game until the avalanche, right? But for me, the Celtic offense has so much to do with the defense and we can expect Kyrie to get back on track. My question for you is, before we jump off this topic, is what is it going to take for Jason Tatum to get going? He's 4 of 17 through two games in this series. Well, you know, looking at Kyrie, um, and when you look at it, when you try to defend a, a, a great offensive player like him, you, you have to, you, you know, you have to defend him as a group. I thought the Milwaukee Bucks made a tremendous adjustment. They really did a good job of ganging up on Kyrie every time he had the ball. He just had no space to operate. We know Kyrie is capable of getting anywhere on the floor, but everywhere he turned, there were jerseys, Milwaukee Bucks jerseys in front of him, and he just had no space. Yep. I have no doubt that the Celtics will make the proper adjustments to give him the, the operating space that he needs on the floor to not only create for himself but create uh, for his for his teammates as well, and because you can't keep a great player like that, he doesn't really need to score. He just needs to have the space to be able to break down the defense. And clearly, the Milwaukee wants to keep the game uh, in a confined area, keep him in a confined area. Um, you know, moving forward. But you know, I, I just think um, you know he's going to have to figure out. What about Tatum? What about Tatum? Well, he, he, Tatum, he's, he's the key. He's the key to open up the floor for everybody else, in my opinion. So you know, how do they get with, Tatum going? Well, I, I think Tatum is going to have to find a way. You know, you know, this kid Siakam for for uh, Toronto is a very interesting player because he he plays and he scores without plays being called for him. Yep. And I think Jason Tatum appears to be, and again, uh, this is only his second year. You don't want to put someone in a box. He appears to be a player, if you run the ball through him and plays, he can go score. I think it, as you play with better teams, with with better teammates and better players, you have to, you have to fi- learn how to find a way to score and be just as effective without plays being called for you. And, you know, the fact that he's only gotten up 17 shots in two games, that to me is an indication, you know what, that He's only getting seven, eight shots up uh, per game at this point, and he's got to find a way to get that up to like 15 shots. You know, there's no reason why he's too good of an athlete to not get out in transition. He's too good of an athlete not to be able to offensive rebound. He's too good of an athlete not to find a way to get out and play and perform without plays being called for him or his number being called because of the circumstances of the game. So, 
you know, I expect more from him. Uh, and, of course, yes, it's always great that the coach calls your number, but I expect more from him to figure out how to get himself involved in the game without the plays actually being called for. Yeah, between transition and, you know, being the guy that that ball gets swung around to when they run their two-man action away from him and then the defense is scrambling, which the Celtics often do that to influence the defense and get their action going to the weak side, you'd expect Tatum to get a lot in in those two um, aspects of the game. So, uh, of course, they're going home, and as uh, as we like to say, Role players and youngsters always play better at home in the playoffs. You know, you mentioned Siakam, and he's been such a revelation for Toronto. And there's a lot to unpack in this series. Not only with the series, you know, the series is tied 1-1 as we're recording this. When you listen, either, you know, Philly or Toronto will be up 2-1 after game three. But there's a lot at stake here aside from just this series. And I almost feel like the future of, of each of these franchises uh, hangs in the balance. So let me throw this at you first. I mean, do you think the loser of this series is is in for major changes this summer, whether that's Kawhi losing and moving on from Toronto or Philly losing and possibly looking at a uh, a, a different leader uh, for the head coaching position. Are you seeing this the same way I am? Well, Eric, you know, you and I have both been fans of the NBA for many years, and change is the NBA, and the NBA is change. <laughs> that's that's the one certainty that we have as, you know, people who follow the NBA. You know, now this has become a league of transactions where there are going to be changes. There are going to be movement players, executives, uh, that's part of the league. So do I expect changes? Absolutely. There can only be one team that's going to win the final game of the season, and everyone else is going to make the proper or necessary steps that they need to make to try to be that team that's going to win the following year. So I expect changes, and that's the the world we live in, and, and we'll see how this plays out. I have a hard time wrapping my head around if Philadelphia who's already won you know an impressive game two on the road and, and let's remember Philadelphia is the underdog in this series so as as talented as they are the Toronto Raptors were a better team this season but with Philadelphia having traveled the road that they have to get here over the last several years with adding Jimmy Butler in a trade early in the season with adding Tobias Harris in the middle of the season with making that all work, finding their way to the three seed and now tied in this series, I just have a really hard time with the thought of, okay, they lose this series and Brent Brown is out. I, I know we're in a league of change, but this guy has steered this ship through some really difficult situations and, and gutted out the entire quote-unquote trust the process thing. I, I just think he deserves better. In general... I know your thoughts on change. I know your thoughts on this league being a business, but does Brent Brown deserve a, a full season with a roster like this, not just making patchwork during it as he has? You know, you know, Eric, you, you've heard me say this before. This league is is a league of misery, right? <laughs> and We're back to – hold on, hold on. We're back to misery. Let me wrap my mind around it. 
Yeah, it's okay. It, I am. I am ready. I am ready to suffer with you. Yes, this isn't. This isn't a, a, a league where you know life isn't fair. And the one thing about Coach Brown, and when you sit in that seat as a head coach, you understand the ramifications of that job and what it entails. That job is always and will always remain about performance. Now he's done something very unique that we haven't seen, where you start off as the coach that everyone's going to stick with to develop players and then you have an opportunity to coach the play, coach that player or coach those players I should say in this case um to the finish line it's very mm-hmm. rare I don't know has that ever happened uh, in the NBA so I think we all like coach Brown uh certainly I've had an opportunity to get to know him and know him well over the years he's one of my favorites um but Again, I, I've been in this business. He's been in this business, and I think he understands this as a true professional. And I think he's prepared for whatever happens. I'm certainly wishing the best for him, but clearly, you know, in this league, you know, coaches are going to be hired, coaches are going to be fired, players are going to be traded, executives are going to get moved, and there will always be movement in this in this business. So that's the that's the business that we're in, and I think we've all come to understand that and and say, you know what, you do the best you can under the circumstances, and you, and you move on. The more I think about this, not only am I rooting for Coach Brown, who, by the way, has one of the most interesting accents of all time, which is half Australian, half New England from Maine, because of where he spent <laughs> so much of his life. I'll never forget meeting him for the first time uh, after he got the job doing an interview segment. But you know, the the chance of a Philadelphia 76er, Boston Celtic, Eastern Conference final just really, really excites me and, and, and will allow us to talk about so many rivalries that have existed over the years. And we know this is a league now that's a little bit short of rivalries. So a Celtic-Sixers conference finals um, would, would really be something. So I'm rooting for Philly. I'm rooting for Coach Brown. Quickly, I know the mind of Kawhi Leonard is not an easy one to read. Toronto has obviously embraced him. He has returned to all NBA form there. Is there any way Kawhi Leonard goes back to Toronto if they're not playing at least deep into the conference finals? Well, there's always a chance. And, you know, there's oh, been don't a lot play of- it safe, BJ no, Armstrong. No, you no, live in LA. Say- yeah, you there's know always the specul- teams out there. Come on. We, we Come get, on. I get it. The speculation of what players are going to do, and it's you know it's been well documented. Is he going to the Clippers? Is he going to the Lakers? What have you? You know, if I if you know I don't know Kawhi, and other than you know professionally, I've seen him from time to time at different events in the NBA. But if I if yep. I were if I were him, if yep. I were him, I would look at the. He is one of the players that could shift the dynamics of this league, right? There aren't many players that, that wherever he goes, he's going to make an impact in the win-loss column. He's, he's, on, he's, on, that, he's on that short list, he's on no that doubt. Short, he's on no that doubt. short list, okay? Now, if I were him and I was looking at making a shift, right? Because right now the best team in the NBA, the best team is the Golden State Warriors. And if I were him, I would make a shift and try to pair with Kevin Durant, wherever that's at. Wow. Because those two players, those two players, arguably one is the best offensive player and the other is the best defensive player. 
And Kawhi Leonard is certainly in the top three on the offensive end, give or take, whoever you want to put uh, in this league. And Kevin Durant can be an all-defensive player if so desired because he has the length and athletic ability and what have you. Now, those two players, to me, together would make a huge shift in this league. And either one of them, wherever they go, individually will make a shift. But together, now you're talking about doing something which, to me, is long-term. You're thinking long-term. You're thinking about having two players where now Kevin Durant – and this is what really scares me about Kevin Durant right now. Kevin Durant, over the last two or three years, or how many years he's been with the Warriors, he's learned how to play just as effective without the ball than he did with the ball. Before he came to – Golden State. That's a great he point. Was, he was basically a, a, an isolation player. Now that's he's all, learned how to play. Yep. Now he's learned how to play without the ball and learn how to play just as effective without the ball than he has with the ball. To me, pairing him with another top three player who can do the same, to me, sh- makes a total shift in the league. Now, no one's talking about this, but that's what I see from a basketball perspective is that if those two guys got together, wherever they go, that's the team that you're going to choose. to. They're, they're going to be in the NBA Finals, whether they're in the West or the East. And it's just a matter of not if they're going to win, it's how many they're going to win because you can't pair two players like that because of their dominance on the court. They could really dominate this game for the next five years or so because they're kind of like – in the thick of their prime years as a player. And I don't think there are two wing players that could defend them and stop them because of the impact of a player, how the game is being played. They're they're played with interchangeable positions and you have arguably number one and number two playing together. That's better than anyone else in the NBA. I'm trying to imagine who would have more false hope right now, a Laker fan or a Knicks fan. I think I'm going to have to flip a coin. Well, I mean, on that note, however, my friend, on that note, we are going to. So so on that note, to close, okay, to close, because uh, the the quarterback, Bruce Bernstein, calling our audibles and sight adjustments at the line is keeping us on task today. So last question for you. Answer it in 20 seconds or less. Who has a better chance to do that, the Knicks or the Lakers? I would say the Knicks. I, I, I say the Knicks. I like what the Knicks have done. I like what they have put together. I like how they have given themselves an opportunity and given them a chance. You're open in the corner. Take the shot. That's all you can do, and that's all you can ask. So I like the Knicks. I like what they've done. I think Scott Perry and, and, and company have done a terrific job, and uh, I think they have as good a chance as any as landing one or maybe possibly two of these free agents with a lottery pick. So I, I think they are in great position, if you ask me. Great stuff, my man. Terrific job today. And, uh, you know, next week we're going we're gonna to amp this up a little bit. So we're going to have a little early week, a little give and go, and then uh, our usual on, on, uh, on the Thursday record and Friday drop. So in, in that give and go an- screen, in that give and go screen, am I the screener or am I the ball handler? Um, <laughs> you know what I would actually love to do is you screen – no hear me out hear me out you're going to be the most effective you're going to screen and then you're just going to pop to wherever you're comfortable 
and I'll hold off the defense for as long as possible. I'll hit you in the hands, and that'll be all she wrote. I, I, I know how to I know how to play to my strengths, and the strength <laughs> is you shoot the ball, and I hopefully get an assist. So uh, that's it. Listen, listen. On the east side, they used to call me Pick and Pop. No joke. Oh, we'll talk more about pop. that okay. another time. I oh like yeah, <laughs> for days, for days. My man, great show. Have a good weekend, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Pure Hoops podcast, episode 16 in the books. Thanks, as always, to my partner, BJ Armstrong, to the one and only Bruce Bernstein, to Jeff Torini, and the entire Pure Hoops media crew. Don't forget the Mike Wise Show, airing each and every Monday. He'll have Goran Dragic on this week before he goes home to Slovenia for the summer. Wednesdays, Catch and Shoot with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stenko. Thursdays, Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt. Also check out our NBA Playoff Quick Hitters coming at you throughout the NBA Playoffs. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the playoff action. The Pure Hoops Podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.